This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. I'm Stephen Igo, the poster of Hoist the Colors, the host of the new Hoist the Colors podcast. I guess this is what, episode five, six, maybe? I don't know. It's, we've already had too many to keep count. I'm not a math major, journalism major over at East Carolina. Uh, we're we're going to preview East Carolina and USF Saturday night, 7 p.m. kickoff between the Pirates and Bulls in Tampa, Florida. And my guest this week to do that, he is new to the podcast, not new to Hoist the Colors if you've been following us for some time. He is Bobby Harward. He is a former ECU football staff member. He was a GA and then a, an assistant coach as well. So, Bobby, welcome into the podcast. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it. Appreciate you uh, having me on this week. Really looking forward to it, being able to just talk ball like we, we tend to do at some of our gatherings together. Uh, just two guys talking pirate football exactly man I, that's what i like most about this podcast is i feel like we can obviously break down you know the games the questions that listeners have but almost just have a conversation like we would normally have off the air so uh bobby for those who are unfamiliar let's talk about your background i think those that have been on the site a while probably know it a little bit but uh, you were involved with ecu especially rough mcneil staff i know you did some coaching at dh Conley as well so so walk us through your background what got you into coaching and kind of where you uh, spent during that time of your career? Yeah. Um, uh, obviously like most, I'm sure the board members have played high school football. Uh, I had a chance to actually play at uh, Lenore Ryan when Mike Houston was there. Uh, funny enough, uh, he was technically the recruiter for my area, but I did more the recruiting connection was with the position coach. And I promise you, I was not good enough of a player that he would remember my name. Um, if you brought it up, um, so I went to ECU, I uh, wanted to try to get in, uh, coaching some way just for my love of the game and, uh, wasn't able to get in my freshman year. That was Skip Holtz's last year. Once Skip took the job down at South Florida, uh, obviously they hired Ruffin McNeil and he was at the basketball game getting introduced. I saw him sitting in the crowd and I was like, shoot, I'm going to shoot my shot. And I went down there talked to, uh, coach Ruff and, uh, just introduced myself, told him I wanted to help out with the program. Uh, do whatever I could. He gave me the equipment manager's name, Eric Lewis. I went in the next day to talk to Eric. Uh, I volunteered as an equipment manager that first spring and then got a paid position as an equipment manager for about two years. And then through that time, um, I worked really closely with the quarterback position. So I got to know Lincoln Riley pretty well. Um, and coming up on my senior year, I just went to Lincoln uh, in the office season and said, Hey, I really want to be a GA at some point. I want to get into college coaching, uh, get, dip my foot in the water and see what it's like. And he said, you know, you're more than welcome to quit working in the equipment room and come volunteer up upstairs in the, in the football office. So 
uh, that's what I did. I, I worked as an offensive assistant. And at that same time as I was transitioning uh, as a student assistant, Dave Nickel was hired on staff. So that is ended up being who I worked under was Coach Nickel. And, and we developed a really good relationship uh, over his time at ECU. And uh, so my first year as a student assistant, um, I really was able to get a lot of GA work done. Um, kind of the hierarchy is obviously head coach, coordinator, position coach, uh, graduate assistant, and then student assistant is underneath underneath all of that. And um, just with the situation that, that was, I was able to do a lot of GA work. And at that time, they only had two GA. So that really benefited me because the next spring, a defensive GA position opened up. Um, and I was able to hop on board with Coach Smith and work over there on the defensive side for two years with the outside linebackers and Coach Dwayne Price. And then and after that second year is when Lincoln went to Oklahoma. Dave got the offensive coordinator job, and, and because of that, Garrett Riley moved up to a position coach, and um, I was able to switch over to the offense, is what, which I'm really more passionate on the offensive side. I love the – just being able to be so creative in terms of play calling, motioning, all that kind of stuff. What, what I love to see in college football and us uh, and with Dave and I's relationship prior, as I worked under him as a student assistant, that was a really easy and smooth transition. So, um, and then, yeah, uh, after that, I went to uh, the offensive side of the ball, worked that fall season. And then unfortunately we got fired, um, then took a job at Pamlico County high school working for, uh, coach Tory now, who is now the head coach at Newburn High School. Um, I think the world of Tory. I think he's a heck of a football coach. I think he's an even better person and leader. And I think Newburn, for you uh, local people, they hit it out of the park with that hire. Um, after that year, I went to uh, D.H. Conley High School to be closer to home. Got to work with Coach Nate Connor. Uh, obviously, Holt Nailers and C.J. were on those teams. And uh, I was there for one year as an assistant coach and Nate is an unbelievable football coach. I mean, if you live in the area, you see what he's done with the program. They don't necessarily get the best athletes, but he gets the most out of his players and they, and they really grind and do a great job. So got to work under him for one year and then uh, started prepping to have a baby girl. Um, and then, uh, so I stopped coaching and, and, and a matter of fact, right now I'm over at uh main farm in Greenville working now. I'm actually no longer at DH Conley. Uh, just something that was better for our family and, and how we want to operate and uh, getting to raise uh, my baby girl who's now 13 months old. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, real life, it, it always hits you fast, man. So <laughs> as as I'm, I'm lucky to be able to do what I do and, and cover football, and I know you have a passion for football even though you're not still directly involved with it. So uh, that's why I'm excited about having you on the podcast, man. I know you're passionate about it. I know you like, like talking about it. And you've got a football background, which – uh, you're similar, you know, to Brett Hickman, who we've also had on the podcast, a West Brunswick head coach who was also on ECU staff. So I always like talking X's and O's as much as uh, I don't know about it. You guys know a lot more. I've tried to study it to, to pick it up from the outside, but you've been in those meetings. So uh, you're much more advanced in, in, in those talks and everything. So, uh, But now we got a ton of questions to get to from the fans. But first, before we jump into that, Bobby, I know you, you've watched ECU, obviously, against Georgia State and UCF. Uh, you've watched South Florida a little bit against Cincinnati uh, to kind of get a scouting report on them. I guess this is on paper kind of an offensive pillow fight, <laughs> at least on, in the stat sheet. Uh, I know both teams are really looking to turn it around. When you kind of look at this matchup, Bobby, w what most intrigues you 
about the Pirates and the Bulls squaring off. Yeah, I mean, uh, you said it best. Both offenses right now are struggling. And, and honestly, when you look at the whole COVID situation, I don't think two teams have been more impacted than these two teams playing. I mean, obviously, we know ECU's situation, um, and I'm sure we'll get into it with the O-line, but when that one position group gets hammered by COVID, that makes it tough to – uh, be able to work together as a unit and just be cohesive and, and a lot of people moving in and out and that makes it difficult. But then you look at South Florida and I mean, they're working, trying to figure out who their starting quarterback is. They're playing four different guys, which is unheard of. I don't think I've ever heard of a program playing four different quarterbacks to open the season. And that's a lot because they weren't able to get through spring ball in a full fall camp. Um, and then on top of that, just trying with the whole new coaching staff, trying to, find pieces and, and fit them in and who can play and, and, and who can't. And they're trying to figure that out on the fly right now. So I think uh, really it's, it's going to be who executes, who makes the, the fewer mistakes and do, doesn't beat themselves this week. I think honestly. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting matchup. And I think with two teams that are trying to find it, the start of the game will be crucial to get some confidence under their belt, uh, which obviously ECU started pretty good against Georgia state on the first play. It just didn't go, so, well, after that, uh, we had a question about this game. Uh, Matthew Wood asked on Twitter, how many points does ECU's defense need to hold South Florida under for the Pirates to have a chance to win? And with this being our third game, do you think we have adjusted to game speed and feel enough that they finally limit turnovers? I guess he's talking about ECU's offense as far as limiting the turnovers. Um, Bobby, I mean, obviously we, we kind of touched on the O-line there. I think the O-line has unfortunately creeped into Holt Naylor's head probably at least a little bit and has maybe led to some of those turnovers. So I think the offensive line play has to, to get better uh, for those turnovers to quit. And then the fumbles, you know, in the first game, and you can speak more to this too, I kind of look at it as a fluke. You know, I don't want to say ECU has a fumbling problem after one game. It was just the season opener. It kind of just happened uh, three different players, so I kind of look at that as a fluke. So I think that if you can limit the interceptions, the pressures, I think you'll see those turnovers kind of disappear a little bit. But uh, what's your take on that? And also, I guess, how many points ECU needs to hold South Florida to to have a chance? I mean, that's kind of a hard question to answer, but just your your ballpark there. Yeah, a um, the couple of things here. First of all, you talked about who jumps on early, going back to a little bit of what you were talking about ago. about about a little bit of a go. Uh, that's the first thing I, I start on my notes when I was watching South Florida. I said, whoever jumps on the other team early, especially if we can jump on South Florida, they show some tendencies just watching the TV copy of, of kind of folding a little bit and starting to bicker and argue a little bit. Cause I don't think Jeff Scott's culture is fully established and rooted within that program right now. Um, going now answering your question about ball security and the turnovers. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't think we saw any uh, fumbles against Georgia State, which is more just kind of showing the the fluke that it was game one. I, I remember Chase Hayden specifically. I think they just popped it just right. And, and I mean, he had it high and tight. He wasn't carrying it loose at all. Um, so I think that was just a fluke thing, especially to happen so quickly. I mean, three fumbles in the first quarter. That's, that's almost unheard of in college football right now. Um, and then with in terms of interceptions, I think uh, that will be handled this week. I'm sure you'll see a lot more quick passes um, and that will in turn help out the O-line and, and allow Holton just, uh, hey, pre-snap read, you know who you're going to get the ball out quick and let's roll, uh, which will allow ECU to play with some tempo as well. Um, in terms of points to hold South Florida to, 
Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I'd like to think 28. That may be a little ambitious, but if we can get, I, I have a feeling we'll break 30 this game. I have a feeling DK has some things up his sleeve to to make this offense roll this week, and I think they'll they'll bounce back on track. They know they know what's going on with the offense in that building, and, and they know the pressure that's on them, and they want to get it fixed more than anybody. So I think you'll see uh, some progress, and maybe it looking a little bit like it did the end of last year. Yeah, I think that. You know, the USF struggled offensively, ECU struggled offensively, and some have said this will be a 13-10 type of game, but I just don't see these defenses playing like that. I mean, I think both defenses, especially ECU, has struggled. I think they're going to give up some plays, and then I think ECU's offense is better than we've shown, so I think we'll see ECU play better. And I could see a game, like you said, in the higher in the high 20s or something like that, so that makes a lot of sense. Um you know, before we dive into these questions full-fledged, Bobby, and we'll, we'll have some more questions about ECU's offense. You obviously dealt some with the offensive side of the ball. You're, you know, you're pretty familiar with Donnie Kirkpatrick, who was on staff when you, you worked uh, with uh, Lincoln and Dave. I guess what have you made about ECU's offense, uh, looking at it from the outside? Um, there were high expectations going into the year. ECU right now not living up to those, and a lot of that is the offensive line, as we've discussed. But just kind of what have you made of that side of the ball thus far? Yeah, I think like anybody, I mean, it's frustrating to watch, especially as a fan, um, you know, especially finishing the season so strong um, offensively and just being able to move the football at ease. And that, that's really what kept them in ball games there towards the end of last season. So I kind of expecting this year rolling in another year with Holton, another year in the system. I thought this thing would be going pretty, pretty quickly early on. And that hasn't been the case. I think, you know, obviously – you know, COVID's for everybody. Everybody's dealing with COVID right now. But I think when you look at the offensive line group specifically, and I mentioned it a little bit ago about them being hit hard with COVID and injuries, you got a lot of young guys playing and trying to figure it out. They're trying to learn the speed of the college game. Uh, those young guys are not just learning one position, they're playing multiple positions. Uh, so that just makes it a little bit diff uh, more difficult, uh, higher learning curve. But on top of that, I think they, they're battling some philosophy things. Obviously, we've seen Mike Houston wants to run the football and establish the run. Um, and right now, that's that's not looking very promising with the offensive line that we have. So I think they will have to make adjustments. I think you will see them making adjustments because they're great football coaches. And that's they've proven that. Their track record's proven that. And good football coaches uh, make the adjustments needed to win games, even if that's changing some philosophical things here uh, early on, just to to kind of get what they want and move the football offensively. Yeah, I think we're you know it seems like they're they're close offensively. I mean, we, they're just too much talent, especially at the skill positions, for them to continue to play like this. And I think a lot of it too is mental. You know, of course, the offensive line has struggled, and I think that has affected the quarterback, but. I think they just need a good drive at the start of a game or two or three drives in a row to really kind of get into a rhythm uh, offensively. And, and we saw that kind of last year. They were really porous going into that Cincinnati game. Nobody expected anything out of that game because they had just gotten crushed by South Florida. And then they go out and have a performance like that. So maybe it'll come when yeah. we least expect it. Uh, let's dive into some of these questions, Bobby. Got a lot of them on the Hoist the Colors message boards. Um, let's see here. S.C. Johnson, he's got a good question, and, and you can kind of speak to this, Bobby, and I, I will as well growing up watching ECU. But he asked, it's not opponent-specific for this week, but can you talk about the strides our conference mates have made over the last decade or so while we have struggled and how different these programs are compared to when we would beat them in Conference USA? Um, we talked about this a lot, Bobby, off the off the air. I mean, just the 
you look at a school like a Houston or a Memphis, back in Conference USA, there was no real commitment to winning. There was no real financial commitment. That has changed. You look at their facilities over the last decade, and it's night and day. And unfortunately, I know Ruff McNeil was always beating the table for some facility upgrades, and he didn't really get any during his time there, and I think it took too long for ECU to do it. Now they kind of have upgraded a little bit, uh, but behind the eight ball, to, in my opinion, what, what have you made of that when you look at uh, the other AAC teams compared to ECU? Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head, especially with Memphis. Uh, I, I mean, I remember Memphis coming on coming here early in Ruff's tenure, and I mean, they, they I think they were a zero win football team when we played them, and and there was just no commitment there football wise, and and they made uh, the right hire after after that. I believe that coach got fired after the season. They made the right hire, and then they got you know the the money support that they needed to to boost up the facilities. But that was always the most frustrating thing. Uh, for our staff and especially coach Ruff, um, because we could see, we could see the benefits that those programs were reaping from, from being able to get the, the facilities that were needed, especially for us in our location to compete with ACC caliber programs, um, you know, an hour and a half down the road in Raleigh, when you go look at that Murphy center there and then come to our facilities, it's a lot different, at, let alone playing, uh, you know, ACC football compared to American conference football. But that was one thing that Ruff always argued for. He always fought for, he always fought for the kids. And, and that was one thing I, I remember, uh, I think it was the last season or the year before last, the uh, 2014 season there. Um, we were excited because we heard, you know, the, the third floor people is what we called them. The kind of the, the athletic directors, all that kind of stuff. We're going to tour some uh, facilities before, one of our away games and we're actually not going to be on the plane with us, but meet us, you know, at the hotel uh, once we landed because they were looking at these facilities. So we were ecstatic. And then we came to come to find out they were actually looking at stadium specific things and not necessarily football upgrades um, in terms of weight room, locker room, meeting rooms, et cetera. So that was really frustrating uh, for everyone on staff, um, especially rough because he fought so hard for the, for the guys and, um, so, yeah, I think what you're seeing now is just, you know, yes, you can make the argument some of these programs were in the Big East a little bit earlier and got a head start. But I think the biggest thing is just the financial commitment and the commitment by by the uh, athletic support staff. And, and that just hadn't been there until recently. Uh, I'm really pleased with um, Mr. Gilbert and, and everything he's doing uh, with the athletic department. So I feel like we're going in the right direction now. But uh, it's going to take some time to play catch up because we, we started the, the race way, way too late. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, going to some of these schools and seeing their indoor practice facilities and seeing the, the football-only buildings they have, it really is no comparison. And, and I think ECU did upgrade with the locker room and what they did to Ward, uh, especially with the some of the stuff, the bells and whistles, so to speak, and, and finally hiring a nutritionist and just that sort of stuff. Uh, I mean, it, it's way behind and um, – we can talk about how they should have t- taken the town bank tower money and spent it elsewhere, but that's a conversation for another day. We'll have a full off-season podcast on facility upgrades one day, maybe. Uh, let's I'll get. I'll be happy to join that. We could talk for about forty-five minutes to an hour just on that whole process alone. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That'll kill some time. Uh, let's jump <laughs> back into football. Bobby uh, Straw three six nine. He asked, "Do you think we finally unleash Holton to his full potential and let him run the football this week?" Uh, this was something me and Brett talked about. I think going into the Georgia State game, we wanted to see Holton use his legs more. Just very little design runs for Holton. 
uh, this season. And I know they want to make him a pocket guy to, to an extent, and they want to obviously keep him healthy. My argument is he's getting more beat up in the pocket than outside of it, and I think with the way the, the running game is going, you need that extra threat to help. Just your take there with the you know a background in offensive coaching, do you think it would help the running game? Oh, absolutely. 100% it, it would it helped the running game. And that was one thing that was kind of shocking. Um, you know, I get wanting to make, try and protect Holton and, and, and keep him safe and make him a pocket passer, but at the same time play to his strengths and his strength is being out of the pocket and, and, and being creative and making plays. And on top of that, when you look back at JMU, which, you know, I wasn't watching them diligently, but I followed because of Donnie Kirkpatrick and knowing him and my relationship with him, it, it seemed like at least numbers wise, the quarterback, uh, was a heavy influence in the run game. Um, and then here's the other thing uh, with Holton and just some zone read stuff. All he has to do is pull it two or three times, and that's enough to keep the defensive end honest the rest of the game. It's not like he needs to run five, six, seven, eight times or that many designed runs. I think if he can just pull it two or three times, heck, sometimes even one and bust a long one, that's going to hold that def- defensive end honest. Um, and I, I believe in the South, uh, Central Florida game, we even saw a quarterback draw was pretty successful. And then that first drive, a lot of it was him being elusive with his legs and making things happen. So um, I'm sure we'll see some rollouts in the passing game just to, to help him out with the offensive line. And then if he can just, yeah, pull that football. Uh, when the read is correct, he doesn't, doesn't just need to pull it for the heck of it and just to run because that's bad news too. But if the read is correct, make that pull. But, but being able to hold that DN honest – uh, allows that gap to get a little bit wider. So, uh, ECU Terip asked, would Kazai Everett's skill set be well-suited for the interior offensive line? Uh, my take here is, I mean, I think, he, first of all, he's got to get in shape. You know, he's, he's listed at 6'1", 359. Love the kid, a phenomenal human being. He just needs to, you know, I guess, get into a college strength program for a full offseason, not deal with COVID. So, to me, I think he's an interior defensive lineman. Um, he's got the skill set for that. I think ECU's got enough interior offensive linemen, um, and that's just kind of how I see it. I think he would make an ideal nose tackle. He's just got to get back into what he can be, and he's only a redshirt freshman. Exactly. Uh, just you listing his uh, – reading off his measurables right there, that, that screams one technique or nose. So uh, I, I think he's in the right spot, and like you said, he's a redshirt freshman. Uh, especially these linemen, man, they, they take time to develop. I've seen you uh, respond to some posts on the board. Most of the time it's their redshirt uh, sophomore or junior year. And I remember Coach Yellock uh, right before Terrell Stanley took off uh, talking to me saying, hey, this is going to be the year for Terrell. This is the year where he's really going to grow and learn. And another thing that's hurt Everett is no spring football. And then being away from the facility and, and you know, the dieting with that nutritionist and the weight program, that hurts. Um, so I think give him a little bit more time. Don't give up on him yet. He's, I think in time, he'll be a fine, fine player for us, uh, wearing purple and gold. Uh, Berg Pirate asked, uh, he's got a recruiting question. Are there three high school offensive linemen left? The staff is going after it. And if so, who are they? Um, Berg right now, it seems like they're looking more at the Juco level, just from what I've seen and what I've heard. And, uh, they've sent two or three offers out the JUCO level. You know, we could get into this conversation. I prefer high school linemen based off my history with ECU and covering it. But uh, if they feel like they need immediate help, maybe they take a JUCO. And interestingly enough, Mike Houston a few weeks ago said there was only one offensive line spot left, and now he said they might take as many as five, uh, and that was this week. So we'll keep an eye on that recruiting-wise 
and maybe some more high school guys pop up. Uh, all I know is after watching the first the first few games, I would take as many offensive linemen as possible. Uh, that's just my opinion. Pirates are us. Asked, uh, who is the best athlete uh, Bobby saw at ECU during his time here? Yeah, that's uh. Yeah, I'll let you answer question. that one. I would definitely, uh, no doubt, Monty's Overton is probably number one on that list. Um, the two that came to mind defensively was Monty's Overton. Um, he would walk around with his shirt off, and it looked like a Greek god that was chiseled. I mean, it was ridiculous. And then as, as fast and as quick twitch as he was, it was it was impressive. Um, and then his ability to bend, rushing the passer, was was unreal. So. Uh, he's definitely one for the defensive end, and then uh, from the defensive perspective, and then on the offensive side, I would say Lance Ray. Uh, that man was built like a thoroughbred. He was, uh, I mean, he was six solid, six one, six two, two ten, could roll, and again, built like a uh, a brick, just like Montice was. So those were probably the two uh, best athletes that I saw. There were a number of them, but those were the two that really stand out. No love for the Swamp Monster, Terry Williams. Uh, he is impressive, man. He <laughs> At can his move size. For, uh, yeah. yeah, he could definitely move. Dayon Pratt's another that comes to mind just with his length and, and athleticism. He was impressive too. So uh, there, was a, there was a handful of them. Uh, Coastal Juan asked, in Bobby's experience, do the coaches and athletes read or even post on these boards like Hoist the Colors or Boneyard Banner? I can't believe I mentioned their name on the Hoist the Colors podcast, but uh, it's it's relevant. People still go there and reference it. So uh, he said, after Coach Houston's presser talking about uh, some people going after players, I was wondering if he was talking about articles or fan response. I guess, you know, you, pr- you guys probably can't ignore all the noise. I know you try to, but uh, in your experience, what was uh, what were those conversations like, if, if any? Yeah, I think for one, um, you know, in terms of uh, not maybe not necessarily the coaching staff, obviously the coaches' wives, I'm sure, read it more than anything and then relay that to the coaches. Um, and then the student assistants are on there monitoring those things. Um, at least we had them. And honestly, being and this is a shout out to, to Stephen here, is the one we really had to worry about was hoist the colors because he, he always had a lot of inside information. So, uh, we dabbled with Boneyard Banner, but really didn't look at there much. But a lot of Stevens' information, uh, we were just monitoring. But more so than that, honestly, we didn't pay much attention to it. But more so is uh, looking at opponents, especially in fall camp we, we as we're breaking down teams and just trying to see if they're giving away anything scheme-wise on video of practice. Um, they're saying anything about players academic-wise, injuries, those sorts of things, uh, more so for the other teams. But uh, the players and, and coaches are definitely hearing it um, after a loss. And, and that more comes from wives reading message boards, Twitter, uh, social media, the radio, all that stuff, especially ECU being a college town. It's hard to escape that uh, when things aren't going well. And the opposite end, it, when things are going really well, it's hard to, to stay humble because your head's getting blown up everywhere you turn. Yeah, I got some really good stories to share about uh a call Scotty Montgomery gave me about practice video one time. I'll have to share that on a later <laughs> podcast. Uh, Lincoln Riley was also unhappy that we had recorded, I guess, some pre-snap, uh, not audibles, but verbiage uh, when you guys were lining up, and and uh, which I can understand. I mean, you don't want that out there. So and that was like my first year doing video. So the Scotty Montgomery thing is just a complete joke, but we'll get to that when we have <laughs> more time. Um, 
ECU Jackie Moon, he asked, are you surprised the offense hasn't tried to go up-tempo to get into a rhythm and keep the defense off balance? I, I think I'm fairly surprised. I, I just don't think that's Kirkpatrick's style, but um, I think with the personnel they have, I wouldn't mind seeing them do that once or twice a game just to see how it goes and maybe try and surprise the opponent. We just haven't seen that, Bobby. Yeah, I'm I'm a little surprised myself as well, especially last year. Like I said, you, you saw a pretty up-tempo offense, but a lot of that too depends on the success on first down. Um, if you have a successful first down, you're able to get in a groove. As a play caller, you get in a groove. And at the same time, if the players are executing, everything freaking works. So, um, but, but first down plays a big part of that. I know that was one thing under Lincoln. If we had a successful first down, if we were five or more yards, we were rolling to the next one. Um, if it wasn't, maybe it's regather ourselves, let's reset and run the next play. Um, and, and, and that's how most teams operate. Uh, as long as you have a successful first down, then you can go up tempo and, and move the football. So. Uh, this uh, Jackie Moon also asked, uh, you mentioned early in the season that we wanted to rotate a lot of bodies on defense. Uh, do you think our opponents have gone up-tempo against us to prevent the ability to get fresh bodies in? I think that kind of goes with what we were saying. Like That's just what some teams do. It's not necessarily to attack ECU's rotation. That's just what they do to keep the same defensive personnel on the field regardless of who they're playing. So, And Georgia State really didn't do a lot of that. I think they did it a series or two. Their coach tried to take a semi-shot at Blake Carroll after the game, calling them a normal offense, which I thought was a stretch. But uh, – Bobby, I think that's just kind of like a, a team like UCF, they do that against everybody. Yeah, exactly. Central Florida, that's what they are. I mean, even uh, watching the TV cast, uh, the the color guy was counting every time. There was time they were snapping the football 10, 12 seconds into the play clock. So, um, And then Georgia State, they did it early. Um, early, the first couple drives, that, that's where they got up big. If you really going back and watching the game, uh, that Georgia State game, the defense, after about midway through the second quarter, held their own. That that last touchdown they gave up in the second quarter uh, had bad field position to start because of the turnover. And then, then in the second half, they score 14 points. One of those is a pick six, and I believe the other one's a turnover, so they have great field position too. To, so if you look at that, that's a, a quarter and a half bad football. Now it was really, really bad football for that quarter and a half, which put them in the hole. Um, and that's a combination of not moving the ball offensively and then giving up big plays defensively. Uh, Buck Nasty of uh, Chappelle Show fame asked, uh, because of the results so far, uh, Silver Linings have gone overlooked such as special teams, very pleased with this group. However, I'd be interested to know how many times we failed to get to the 25-yard line on kickoff returns. It seems like a lot. Uh, he asked, like, why, why aren't we calling for fair catches? Well, Buck Nasty, I'm glad you asked this question because – I, I ran the numbers after you asked it. Um, and so the amazing thing is ECU has returned 11 kickoffs this year. Two of those have gone past the 25. Three of those have resulted in penalties where ECU had to start inside its own 10. And so the average field position for ECU when returning kicks this year is the 19.2-yard line. The average field position overall is the 22-yard line, but that factors in multiple touchbacks and also uh, a 35-yard start after the kickoff out of bounds. So, um, I, you know, I think they, they like Tyler Sneed. They trust Tyler Sneed. I'm sure if he took those penalties out, the numbers would be a lot better. But you do have to wonder, maybe you try early in a game to return, and if you're not having success, which we did see a little bit against UCF, then you call for a fair catch. But um, I do agree, you, you do want to start at the 25 more than you're starting at the 19.2. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a, uh, a big part of that. It's probably a week-to-week thing and what you see on film from the kickoff coverage team, if there's holes there, if there's some uh, weak links in that kickoff coverage team and how you want to set up your return uh, that week. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. But especially when, when you've seen uh, early on in the game, you're just not getting much out of the return game. I think that's also kind of an in-game adjustment of, hey, hey, maybe we need to fair catch, get the ball at the 25-yard line or – the other side of that, our offense is not moving the football. Let's give them a little bit more uh, room to breathe and work with here uh, for this next drive. Uh, let's see. we got a couple more questions here. We'll run through Bobby. Uh, Yoho asked, were you on the staff when Ruffin got let go? Uh, and if so, did anyone there see it coming? And this is the question I'm most looking forward to hearing you answer, even though I've heard it off, yeah. off the air a lot. <laughs> Um, to, to answer your question, yes, I was on staff when we got fired. Um, and no, we had no idea it was, it was coming. Um, there were a couple of red flags that were interesting. Uh, the big reason why we didn't think it was coming is that all the coaches were on the road recruiting. Normally, if um, the AD is going to fire the head coach after the season, they don't allow them to, to use the school's money and go out and recruit. Um, you'd like to save that money so that the uh, new coach coming in can, can – uh, use that travel money as much as possible. Um, so to, to answer your question there, we had no idea it was out of the blue. One, one red flag we had was uh, we weren't allowed to use the plane that, that recruiting week. And that was odd. Uh, normally rough flew on a plane to get from spot to spot for his in-home visits. And, and we were denied that. So that was a little questionable looking back. Um, I still remember the day, like it was yesterday uh, because Ruff came in the office that day and it was weird because he was supposed to be recruiting. So we were like, what the heck is he doing here? Some of us GAs were, were wondering. So I went and during lunch break and, and got my workout in over at, uh, the weight room. And, uh, as I came back after showering, Alex Falcon, uh, who's one of our assistant DFO guys on staff, uh, said, what the heck is this? And showed his phone and it was an email that, uh, Comfer had sent out to the athletic department, uh, letting everybody know that Ruff has been removed of duties. And we were shocked. And then I'm walking down the office hallway and I, I see Falcon on my left-hand side in his room and he's showing me that. And then right as I turn, Ruffin is walking through the door to the front of the office. He hadn't even got back into the football office yet uh, down from his meeting with Comfer before that email was sent out. So um, obviously there's, some sour feelings there that he couldn't tell uh, people the way he should. Uh, and that wasn't handled the correct way. And, and ultimately to answer your question, yeah, it was a complete shock. It was, it was out of the blue and we did not see it coming. You know, as you said, the name Comfort it made me want to like implement a rule that it shouldn't be uttered on this podcast. Like almost like a Harry <laughs> Potter, like Voldemort. Yeah. Deal. He shall, shall not be yeah, named. He shall not be named. I think I'm going to implement that rule going forward for the HCC yeah. podcast. Uh, Rooster89, he's, he's got a bevy of questions. Uh, we'll run through these, Bobby. He wants to know South Florida's biggest strengths and weaknesses from what you've seen. Yeah, I think uh, strengths is going to be the, the skill position. And uh, I mean, it's it's South Florida. They're, they're Tampa, Florida. They're swamped with talent, especially at the, the skill position. Uh, they got that city speed, as we at Hoist the Colors like to say. Um, so I think that's a big strength for them it is the skill position. Um 
one thing that was taught to me as I GA it's pretty cool playing South Florida. If you look at their kickoff team before they they run down, it, it's pretty impressive. Normally at those Florida schools, just the athletes they get and, and you know how fast they cover ground at the size that they are. So uh, skill position probably uh, in terms of side of the ball, the defense is way ahead of the the offense, but there's still some a lot of question marks defensively for them. Um, you know they still look like they're trying to figure things out defensively I saw a lot of confusion watching the game against Cincinnati and I thought Cincinnati uh, played a poor football game and and that game could have really been out of hand if they didn't turn the football over Um, fair enough all right so hopefully you can take advantage of some of those uh, defensive issues I I hope so yeah Uh, tempo just a, a definitely a big thing that I saw on tape uh, when Cincinnati picked up the pace a little bit. Um, that they had some had some issues, and the other thing that may actually help the offensive line is there was a lot of three man rush from the South Florida defensive line, so that could end up benefiting us. But uh, they could decide to zero blitz us the whole game. So yeah, or they could get there with three. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what is Bobby's take on the current staff? I, I, you know, just from talking with you, I think you've got a lot of respect for these guys, and um, like most, uh, just kind of your take on Mike Houston staff. Yeah, I, I think yeah, you've said it for me. I mean, I have all the utmost respect for those guys. I think their track record, uh, you know, speaks for itself. Um, they're heck of football coaches. Uh, it's just going to take some time. Um, it's a frustrating thing because uh, we come off a losing season after Russ last year, and then we lose, have three straight three and nine seasons. Um, and then now it's up to Mike Houston to turn it around. And because as fans, we've dealt with losing for so long, uh, we're, we're just itching for a winning season. And, and to get it done the right way, which I believe he is doing, it, it takes time. And, and believe me, if you can win at Citadel, you're a heck of a football coach because – Army and Navy are hard enough to win at as it is uh, with the recruiting restrictions and all that stuff. But to do it at the FCS level at a military school, that's freaking impressive. So I think he's a heck of a football coach. You've seen the adjustments the staff makes and, and they're doing it the right way. So to, to get it done the right way, it takes time. And I just plead with everybody to be patient as frustrating as it is. I have full confidence in this staff that they'll get the job done. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Uh, Bobby's fondest memory of Ruffman McNeil. Yeah, my my fondest memory of Ruff is actually a non-football memory, so that may be disappointing, but it also speaks, I think, to the person that Ruff is. Um, So I actually met uh, my wife, Brittany, uh, who is – Beautiful, by the way, I have to mention her on the podcast and, and Stephen actually went to high school with each other. And that's how we became uh, connected and developed this great friendship that we have. But um, Brittany worked in the football office. That's how we met. And um, we went down to Charleston uh, one weekend and I proposed to her. And right after I proposed, um, I called my father and my mother and then Brittany called her parents. And then I guess somebody posted it on social media. I'm not sure who. But after we called our parents, the next call I received was from Coach Ruff and Miss Erlene. And that was congratulating on us, uh, congratulating us on our engagement. Uh, he said, I weigh 
outkicked my coverage and I had to have been a hell of a recruiter because there's no way in hell an ugly guy like me should get with such a beautiful girl like her. So those were his words, but that just meant more to me than anything. And I think speaks to who he is as a person um, that literally I talk to my parents and the next person I get a call from is, is coach rough. So that's definitely my fondest memory. And uh, that's always something that I hold, hold close and hold dear to me. Yeah, that's awesome. And it speaks to the person Ruff is because that truly was who he is and who he is to this day. Uh, and then also transitioning to your playing career, uh, Rooster89 also wants to know, best single game stat line Bobby put up while playing wide out at Athens Drive. Yeah, I have to give my man uh, Seth a shout out. This is uh, pretty awesome. I had a, a great chuckle when I read this. Um, Seth and I go back my freshman year. Uh, he's a little bit older than I am, but but uh, he taught me what it meant to be a pirate, uh, being new to newer to North Carolina in general, but but definitely new to ECU. He he showed me what it was to tailgate, especially that first year, uh, not being a part of the football program. But uh, yeah, I can't even remember my stat line, <laughs> so I'm not even going to shoot it out. Um, I definitely uh, was not the best player on the team, was not the fastest, I can say that. Uh, I caught a few footballs, but that's about it. Uh, that's fair enough. I mean, you got into coaching for a reason, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I knew my limitations. I'm, I'm 5'7", 190 pounds. I know where I'm at and, and how far that was going to take me. Uh, Jeep for pirates says, other than COVID, what makes the ECU rebuild more difficult than what Coach Houston expected or had to deal with at previous stops? Uh, this is a question, again, we could go on forever. Uh, Coach Houston did kind of address this exact question earlier this week, and he equated it to more like his Lenore Ryan job than anything, where they had a losing culture for years, hadn't won anything for a long time, and really it took multiple years with him and Fred Goldsmith to turn that thing around. Uh, and I think that's what you're looking at here. I think, you know, more so than just the talent, which is obvious, is the mindset, the culture. I, I think this team is still fractured. When they when when things start to go bad, Bobby, it just seems like it snowballs, it goes downhill so quickly. And and it seems cliche, but I really think that is the legitimate truth. And it's going to take time to to really turn it. You got to get that win, that monumental win, and then maybe it flips. But it, it's not easy to get there. Yeah, I think it's it's twofold. I think the the first part you've hit on the head, breaking that that losing culture, that's hard because when you're in a game, you're just waiting for that next pin to drop, uh, that that next that first bad thing to go wrong, and then and let it all snowball over top. And that's one thing that impressed me so much uh, last year about the old Dominion win is because that's a game under most staff that we don't win that football game, um, and that that to me showed the grit. And, and the coaching and, the, and what coach Houston was working on. And I think that was kind of uh, shown there uh, in that old dominion game. I think the other part of it, non-culture stuff, but in terms of players uh, talent wise in the locker room, I think uh, the other thing is just the lack of uh, skill and experience in the trenches that was left to him. I think that's a big part. Um, you know, the skill positions are a lot easier to replace, especially at a place like East Carolina. Getting those big boys in the trenches is tough. And, and for him to essentially have to completely uh, revamp his defense and offensive line, I think that's a that's a big part. That's actually holding this process up probably a little bit longer than they would like. Uh, Bug Nasty back again. Uh, he just can't get enough. He asked, does Jake Verity have a legit shot at the NFL? I mean, I think he's definitely got the leg. You know, with specialists in the NFL, I feel like it's more almost about luck 
you, you kind of have to be in the right place at the right time. You know, not many kickers are drafted. You have to be elite. You know, he, he kicked a ball earlier this year that was from 40-plus, and it looked like it would have been good from 60. So I don't think the – you know, I think he'll get a look. Whether he'll get signed or not, whether he'll get that opportunity, if he does, he's just got to make the most of it. And uh, But I think pure talent-wise, he's got a shot. You know, I'm not a kicking expert. I don't know what exactly all he has to do to get there. But with his touchback rate, with his leg, his distance, and accuracy, I, th- I think he'll definitely at least get looks. Yeah, I think that might be a, a better question for my old roommate and GA friend Ryan Doherty. Uh, but uh, like you said, I think in, in terms of leg strength and stuff, he, he's definitely got it. But like you said, it really just depends on uh, being at the right place at the right time. Uh, a lot of times NFL teams are just bringing in kickers really just to – uh, not wear their, their starter out through camp. So uh, as long as he can get in the right place at the right time and take advantage of his opportunities, uh, I definitely think he has a shot. Uh, Pirate Treasure NC, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, so we'll handle this quickly, but he asked, is there an offensive concept that our O-line can run to allow for our offense to do better, or what could the offense do to offset the O-line issue? Uh, to me, this kind of goes back to, I think you have to implement the quarterback in the run game to get an extra hat. You know, it, with Holton style, I would like to see – we talk about the zone read, but I would like to see them go back to the quarterback power, which, you know, to Scotty Montgomery and Tony Peterson's credit, they did a lot his freshman year. And I remember that one game, it may have been UCF or Houston, where he ran it like 20 times efficiently. You don't want to do that. But, you know, once or twice a game, maybe you go quarterback power and you get the running back like a Penix leading the way. Is that something you'd like to see see a little bit of? Yeah, definitely. I think implementing Holton in the run game is going to be probably the biggest part of it. Um, some things I like to do, and and here's the other thing, you know, I may like it or it, it looks pretty on paper, but at the same time, you know, they have a playbook and a philosophy, and they're not going to just scratch everything, uh, you know, three two games into the season just to, to please us as fans, but they will make adjustments within their playbook. And one thing I'd like to see is maybe some motioning back and forth. I believe Brett mentioned that in the video this week that he put out is just adding some motion to maybe uh, get linebackers called out of gap, uh, get some confusion and checks in the defense that maybe you can bust one. Um, just being, being that uh, a D lineman or linebackers out of gap. Uh, and then just in the passing game, making things easier on Holton. Uh, spreading it out a little bit more, uh, allowing that read to be pre-snap, which is a big thing that empty does. The empty formation uh, just really makes the defense show their hands. So uh, that's some things that I'd like to see offensively. Uh, and then just, you know, the quick intermediate, uh, the quick to short passing game is going to be key for them. Get the ball out quick, get the ball out uh, fast, and, and, and just roll. And last one for you, Bobby. Uh, a rough, Another rough McNeil question, this one. Uh, about the culture, ATR0309 asked, uh, Bobby, what do you make of people blaming the culture was so bad under Ruff? There have been many posters who have tried to justify his firing by you know, saying the stuff that was going on under his tenure. Just wanted to get your thoughts on this, if you can touch this subject. Um, and I, I know you know, I've, I've heard stories and everything, but I'll let you go first and kind of talk about what you saw being on the inside and everything. Yeah, I, I don't think it was necessarily a, a full-blown culture issue that was uh it was made out to be um i think was the leadership stronger the year before absolutely i mean you have shane Carden, you have justin hardy you have guys veteran leaders who've proven their self uh on the field and with their success and their work ethic 
uh, and they leave, and that's tough to replace. And one thing, and this is why players love playing for Ruff, this is like why coaches love coaching under Ruff, is he's a player and a coach's coach. He's going to do what's best for his players. Uh, he's going to love them up, and he's going to give them those leadership responsibilities, and that's what he tried to do. He tried to give players leadership responsibilities, and um, unfortunately, the way everything timed out, uh, some of those guys may not have been ready to step up in those roles yet or really knew how to handle those roles at that time, uh, and that just caused a little bit of a leadership gap. Um, but look, the, the firing of Ruff and McNeil had nothing to do with the culture or leadership. It was – one, one or two people who didn't agree with how he operated and did things, and they got in the ear of the person who made the decision, and that decision was made. And I'll even go back to the fact that Ruffin McNeil was offered a contract extension after the Virginia Tech game uh, that same season. And Ruff being the person that he is, uh, they tried to shortchange the, the assistants on the staff, and uh, that caused Ruff to say no and which I don't blame him. And that just, again, shows who he is. He's going to stand up for his people. And, um, and so it was not a, a culture issue. Was everything great and rosy? Absolutely not. Just like any other program is. Uh, so you, you got lumps and battles that you have to work through. I think it was just an off year. And I've told Steven this off the record going into that season, we knew um, that was going to be a tough year to get through. Um, and then you add the fact that Kurt Benkert tears his ACL in a fluke deal preseason. Um, and then we're, we're scrambling with a quarterback, trying to get Blake Kemp ready, uh, trying to get James Summers moved over from, from wide receiver to quarterback. Uh, so you're, you're working with that change too. And, and we all said and done, we still finished five and seven with some competitive football games that could have gone either way. So uh, we knew the way we were set up is we were going to have a really big year the next year, especially our out of conference uh, with some of the coaching changes that happened that year going in the, or that were expected. So we felt really good uh, that we could surpass the eight win mark again, but uh, unfortunately we, we didn't get the chance, but uh, in no way, shape or form, in my opinion, and obviously I'm, I'm biased and, and I'll stand behind rough, uh, but there was no culture issue or at least not painted that picture uh, or not in the way that painter uh, that picture is painted. Well, I can't get the words out, but uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, understandable. And uh, yeah, I remember talking to people about how good that team could have been the next year with Benkert coming back. And unfortunately, we never got to see Benkert really be the guy at ECU. And he did some good things at UVA, turned that program around. And it's unfortunate. But what could have been, he's, he thou shall not be named, uh, made the decision. Yeah. So it is what it is. Well, Bobby. I guess we did, we did get a bonus question from Tarboro Bill. Would it be better to, A, wait until the game is over before drinking, B, wait until the game gets out of hand before drinking, C, start drinking during the tailgate pregame, or D, start drinking now and just don't stop? Um, I tell you what, <laughs> if the Pirates are going to play like last week, D might be the way to go. Uh, I'm going to yeah. suggest B, wait until the game gets out of hand, but that's just my <laughs> take. Uh, but it might not be too long if BCU keeps playing like that, but – uh, but no. Yeah, I, I might have to go with B two. I know with uh, a youngin running around uh, the living room, I, I, I'm I'm careful with that in terms of uh, getting out of hand. Um, I do want to give another shout out. I know Pyrdeer uh, had some some kind words for me on Hoist the Color, so I want to yeah. thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Um, definitely enjoyed doing the the 
young pirate camps. Uh, had a lot of fun with that. Uh, it was always a blast, especially when they got to play pirate ball and compete. And then because of that, it allowed us GAs to have some uh, friendly wagers on our teams as we uh, competed against each other in that. But uh, definitely appreciate the kind words and uh, really enjoyed uh, those young pirate camps. Well, Bobby, I told you 30 minutes and we're at the 50 minute mark. So I'm going to let you go. Uh, but it, this has been fun, man. I mean, it really has flown by. I know anytime we talk football, it does. And, uh, you know, we're doing this ro- rotating co-host thing, and I'm looking forward to getting you back on down the road, continue to talk football and, and get your insight. Yeah. Uh, happy to be on. Thank you for asking me. Like you said, anytime we get to talk, uh, pirate football, uh, is great. Uh, it's a great time. And, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I was, helpful and insightful in some ways uh tonight but definitely look forward to to joining the podcast again and uh, i definitely probably need to get uh, a little bit more frequent in my posting on hoist the colors but uh it's hard also because i'm frustrated as a fan and and love the staff so uh, it makes it a little difficult no you you do a great job man with uh with everything that you do contribute when you have time to and you got a lot going on with your family so we we understand (laughs) you're a little busy but no, man, it's been fun. Uh, looking forward to doing it again, and thanks again for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, thanks again to Bobby Harward for joining the show. Great insight from Bobby, and uh, really looking forward to continuing to have him on as a rotating co-host with the show, with the podcast going forward. Brings great insight with his football background and knowledge. Uh, before we get out of here, a few more questions on Twitter I just want to run through. Uh, Rohan asks, as bad as our offensive line has been, our defensive line has accounted for six tackles for loss, zero sacks, and three quarterback hur- hurries in two games. Shouldn't we be worried about that too? Uh, to me, I'm not as worried about the defensive line, A, because you know in, in, in this scheme, they are in many ways more responsible for playing the run than getting the, the sacks and the TFLs. That's more on the linebackers who are coming on blitzes. Uh, and plus they're so young, you know, they have so much going on right now. I'm not expecting them to blow up play after play. Uh, that's why you're seeing ECU blitz so much because they have so much just as far as gap responsibility that they're trying to learn, uh, now as young guys. And I think as they advance forward, as their sophomore junior years comes, you'll see those guys get more pass rush push. Um, but I I think ECU going forward has to start recruiting, uh, the edge outside linebacker and start making that a priority if this defense is going to be really successful because that's going to be your main pass rusher as far as a defensive front player in this defense. you got to have a guy who's tall, lanky, can get after the quarterback in, in a one-on-one matchup and, and make things interesting. So um, I'm not too worried about the defensive line right now. You know, honestly, they are they have surpassed my expectations. It sounds crazy to say you're giving up 50 points a game, but I honestly think there are some good young pieces there, and, and they're going to continue to only get better. Uh, Rob Fleming asks, what's up with Brian Gag? Brian Gag is in Florida. He has opted out, or that, that was the last I heard. He had decided to opt out for the season. And he seen, you know, there, were, there was talk that he might return, uh, but at this point I do not expect him to play at quarterback this year. You know, he didn't have – he had an up-and-down preseason camp, and I think he just wanted to opt out. And, you know, with everything going on, you obviously respect that decision as a personal decision. Uh, but he is not a factor in the quarterback room for this season. And lastly, C.J. Powell asked, if Holton struggles again, is it possible we see Garcia slash Stubblefield versus Navy? Well, if, you, if you're if you going to see any quarterback, it would be Garcia or Flynn. Stubblefield is fourth in line right now. He's running the scout team. Alex Flynn is the backup along with Mason Garcia. 
Uh, I don't think they'll they'll pull Holton even if he struggles against South Florida. You know, if you're 0-4 after Navy and your offense still hasn't figured it out and you go into that bye week at 0-4 and really struggling offensively, then I can maybe, maybe see something happening. But I honestly expect Holton Aylers to bounce back. I expect the offense to bounce back, and I think that they will play better. I don't think there will be a quarterback change this season. If it gets to that point, we will discuss it after two games. It's just kind of nonsense, in my opinion, to be talking about uh, benching a proven starting quarterback who proved in the last half of last year, when you give him time, when you when you do the things correctly on offense around him, he can excel at an extremely high level. Uh, I think it would be foolish to overreact and put a true freshman quarterback in right now with a team that really can't protect the quarterback in the first place. So uh, that's my take on the Mason Garcia situation. I think eventually he will be the guy here. How long How long down the line that is, I don't know. I believe in Holton Aylers, and I think uh, I believe in him as a, a quarterback and as a you know a person who is a team leader who gives us all to East Carolina. So uh, I'm not ready to give up on Holton Aylers yet, and I think he will uh, bounce back you know with a vengeance pretty soon. As long as the guys around him continue to play better, I expect Holton to play better as well. All right, that'll do it for today's podcast. Again, we'd like to thank Bobby Harward for jumping on the show. Tons of great insight uh, heading into this USF game uh, from Bobby. And, and again, thanks to, to you guys for all the questions. Tremendous uh, uh, listenership uh, participation with all the questions. We wouldn't have much of a show to talk about without you guys because y'all bring so much to the table as far as you know your interest and what things you want to know about. So that makes it easy on us to really have a show based off your questions in many ways. So continue to bring those questions. We'll have a post-game pod. Probably with it being such a late game Saturday, we'll have it up. We'll probably record it Sunday morning, have it up late Sunday morning or or Sunday afternoon. But um, that's kind of my thinking with the post-game pod. Hopefully we have a victory to talk about. But either way, we'll be here for you. And we'll have the latest information on hoistthecolors.net. Don't forget to rate and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, because all that stuff helps us as far as notoriety and just uh, continuing to rise up the the podcast chart, so to speak. Every rating matters, so drop us hopefully a five-star rating based on what you've heard, but uh, just a rating period and uh, subscribe. So whenever we do drop an episode, you'll be the first to know. You won't have to wait for us to tweet out the link, for us to post an article. It'll go straight to your phone as a notification, so hit that subscribe button if you can, on the Hoist the Colors podcast. All right, well, that'll do it for us. Again, like to thank Bobby, and we will be back with you guys after the USF game. I'm Steven Igo. We'll see you next time.